Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 223 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Sarah Samuel. Sarah lives in Asheville, North Carolina, and she is a podcaster and also an artist. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much, Jen. It's so fun to be here. Oh, I I love to love to talk to other podcasters, and we'll have to talk about that later once we get (laughs) through the intermittent fasting. I'm usually the one interviewing or having to host, so it's fun to be on the other side of that. (laughs) 
You know, you're exactly right. It is always fun to be on the other side when you're used to being the host. I, I like to be interviewed because you can just kind of relax. <laughs> Although I love interviewing people on this show too, because it's a very relaxing format. So it's lots of fun. So, you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Yeah, so I found intermittent fasting in 2017. And it's so funny talking to you because I've been listening to your podcast since like probably June or July of 2017. So I'm like, I know you don't know who I am, but I feel like we've been friends for five years. (laughs) I'm sure so many people say that. (laughs) So you started listening to the one with Melanie then if it was 2017, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. That was when we were just starting out, 2017. So fun. And it's so, yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, sort of my history of like why and how I found intermittent fasting is so in 2014, I started dating someone who was vegan. And so we started eating, you know, we would eat together a lot. And I think I was probably eating more than I normally would. If it wasn't for him, he's a taller guy and just has a bigger appetite. And I think I I probably <laughs> maybe matched him more than my appetite would want me to. And I was also eating, you know, started eating vegetarian and vegan more. And I just gained like so much weight pretty quickly. And weight gain and weight loss has always been a thing that I've kind of thought about. <laughs> so I had done this program that was an sort of like weight tapping for weight loss. I don't know if you've, have you heard of tapping like EFT? Oh, tapping. I have. I actually had an interview with someone, Sonia Sophia, Sonia Sophia. I think I said it wrong the first time here on this, this show. It was a while back. I think I interviewed her in 2020. Yeah. Cause I remember I was sitting in the kitchen. It was while I was recording fast feast repeat. So it was the spring of 2020. I'm not sure what episode it was, but it was Sonia Sophia. She actually introduced me to the idea of tapping. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. So she I like, was leading me through a tapping session on the oh, episode. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I actually have the Tapping Solution app, which is for anybody who wants to explore tapping. The app really helps because it really like tells you what to do. Oh, that's awesome. through. Do you Have you used the app? No, I haven't. And I haven't really done a ton of tapping, but I've always been kind of in the personal development, like spirituality, like all of that kind of world. So tapping sort of, (laughs) I think it naturally found me, but I, I was doing this program specifically called, I think it was called tapping for weight loss. It's by this woman, Brittany Watkins. And it's actually kind of amazing. She definitely, it helped. It was like a nine month program and I had a coach and everything. And it was, I think really helpful for bringing my awareness to kind of my own patterns and everything. And she actually has this really amazing tapping for cravings that I did. I used to be like obsessed with eating cookie dough. Like that was like my go-to snack kind of, or like sweet snack. And after I did this, like I like never had cookie dough after. It was like incredible. But I also tried it with cheeses and it did not work. (laughs) There are scientific studies around tapping. Like when people first hear about it, it might sound like woo-woo, like what? That can't be real. But they actually have some great, great scientific studies that show it. And of course, whether it's the placebo effect or whether it's really doing something, either way, it has effects. So (laughs) that it's worth trying. The fact that I never had cookie dough after, I mean, I maybe have since maybe like once or twice, but this was probably in 2016 or 2017. And I mean, I cannot, I mean, I 
I since I was a child, it was like go like my go-to thing is cookie dough, and I haven't had it. So I feel like that's a miracle, and that means that it like works one hundred percent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did this program, and at the end of it, I was like, okay, well, I have more awareness around food, and I maybe feel better emotionally, but I have not lost any weight. And that really is my goal. And I, in fact, maybe I have gained weight, <laughs> you know, like I was just like, okay, this is great, but you know, I want some like results here. And my coach said, well, have you ever heard of intermittent fasting? That's what I do. And I was like, oh, that sounds intriguing. And then I actually heard about it two other times. Like I want to say within the same week. And it was the first, you know, back in 20, everyone's talking about intermittent fasting now, but back in 2017, people were not right. talking about it. So the, one of the people was a naturopathic doctor uh, who was a friend of mine. He had just gotten out of school. And then the other person was this man named Andy Petronic, who started a program called the Whole Life Challenge, which is kind of based in ideas of paleo. There's like different elements of it. There's like a nutrition element, which is based in paleo, and it has like varying levels of strictness that you can sort of buy into. And then it has like an exercise component, stretching, drinking water, like all of these different sort of holistic health things to just kind of make people, you know, more aware of their habits. And um, like that really helped me. I had done it in the past and had lost weight, but had gained it back. So I, I kind of was under the impression that once you had gained weight, you couldn't lose it. Like my parents were always dieters growing up. Um, my parents and step-parents, like weight was always a topic of conversation. Like I remember going to my grandmother's house and she would be like, how are you? How's your weight? Like that was the first thing <laughs> that she oh. would ask. So my parents were similar, you know, they were just a constantly on a diet and I would see them fluctuate a little bit, but I just thought like diets don't work it's impossible to lose weight. I mean, that's kind of why I went the tapping route because I thought, well, maybe it's just psychological. You know, it it actually, I, I think that evidence in front of us would would tell us that that is not untrue in the world in general mm -hmm. because we, we look at the statistics on people who maintain a weight loss and it is abysmal. I mean, we know this is true because the statistics are out there. Like there's even like a weight registry of people who have, who have successfully maintained their weight and they're like studying those people because it's like so unusual for someone to lose the weight and maintain it. And, you know, so we've, we've got it in our minds that it's difficult to lose the weight and maintain it. And it's true because we're usually following the conventional dietary advice. Like for me, I yo-yoed all the time because I kept trying to follow the advice eat less, move more, just eat this, don't eat that. And so none of that was sustainable. And it also didn't work with, you know, getting my insulin down and helping my body be metabolically flexible. But of course, I didn't understand any of that. So I, I was using the wrong tools. I mean, some of the tools are good, right? <laughs> but but they just didn't work long term because they don't match the way our bodies function. And that is where fasting is different. So you know, I've never maintained a weight loss before. It, weight Maintaining weight was difficult until I had the tool of intermittent fasting. Yeah, for sure. So the people that had kind of told me about intermittent fasting, two of them weren't, you know, talking about weight loss. They did, had, did, had no weight to lose, but it was just more for like as a healthy thing. And then obviously this coach was talking about it for weight loss. And I just was really intrigued by it and started looking into it. And it's so funny to think back and 
looking at, okay, 16 hours. Like I remember being like, does that include sleeping? Does it not include sleeping? (laughs) (laughs) And it just sounded like so long. Like I just couldn't imagine not eating for 16 hours. But I started to look into it and I started with, so I was actually doing the whole life challenge at the same time that I started fasting. So it was like my second time doing the whole life challenge. And I started with a 16-8. I did, you know, 12 to 8. I figured that was good. I was actually doing the whole life challenge with a bunch of friends. I was part of a comedy theater in Santa Monica. Shout out Westside Comedy Theater. (laughs) And we all did it together. It was like a huge group of like 20 people. So that definitely kind of makes it more fun. And we always joke like you could tell who was doing the whole life challenge and who wasn't because all the people who were doing it were like bright eyed and so hydrated and everyone felt great, you know, whereas <laughs> typically it's a group of people who, you know, were out late or drinking. <laughs> right. So, now is the whole life challenge, did that yeah. include intermittent fasting as part of it or did y'all just add that? No, it didn't include it. And actually I was really the only one doing intermittent fasting, but I did ultimately get a couple of my friends to kind of join in with me, which was fun, you know, like over time. And now it's sort of part of their, you know, I don't think they do it regularly, but, you know, sometimes they'll just be like, oh no, I'm trying to fast, you know? (laughs) So I kind of got people into it just because I was talking about it a lot, but I was really the only one doing the fasting. And I had done the whole life challenge before and had you know, lost some weight and then gained a bunch back, you know, even more than I had lost originally. So I was just still really skeptical and really hesitant about the possibility that any weight loss changes or any health changes would be long lasting. But I started with that 12 to 8 window. And I actually started with, I've drank black coffee forever, but I started with putting some butter in my coffee because Bulletproof was like huge at that time. And Oh, yeah, (laughs) it was. Yeah. And we even had in Santa Monica, we had a Bulletproof. I don't know. I think it's still there. I don't know. A Bulletproof coffee like store or whatever. So it was also like easy to get. And yeah, it was just everywhere. So I started doing that. If I was hungry before noon, I would have butter in my coffee and that really helped. And then over time, like not even that long, I my window just got shorter and shorter. So I didn't need the butter in my coffee anymore. And then it's like, maybe I wasn't hungry until two. And then maybe I you know, got so full, I stopped eating for the day at four. So it kind of like my window really naturally shortened and naturally changed. And I was sort of able to find the window that worked for me. And I ended up doing for a while, a one meal a day pattern um, where I would literally go out, you know, I would eat out a lot and I would just have maybe a breakfast burrito and then that would be it. And I would feel so satisfied for the day. And I just like was like losing weight so quickly and, and it just kind of kept going with the fasting. So I think that's why I was like, wow, the, the fasting mixed with the whole life challenge or the fasting mixed with some kind of dietary regimen just makes it, you know, so you're not doing that yo-yo thing. It just, it just kind of like helps maintain long-term because like you said, you're changing, you know, your hormones and really going for a more internal change rather than just energy expenditure. 
We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Absolutely. It really changes everything. And, you know, I wish I'd understood it from the beginning when I first heard about intermittent fasting in 2009 or whenever. Everything I read back then, whether it was Eat, Stop, Eat Mm -hmm. or the alternate daily fasting stuff or Bert Hearing and his Fast Five, all of Mm -hmm. it just really focused on calorie restriction that you're eating less. You're eating Mm -hmm. less, so you're losing the weight because you're eating less. But now we understand it. Thank goodness for the obesity code. Thank goodness for Jason Fung. Because, you know, other than that, if it hadn't been for reading the obesity code, I would probably think that it was just because we were eating less calories and that was it. But understanding the whole, I mean, maybe not, maybe by now we would have figured it out without him, but he really brought that to the forefront of understanding and the light bulb moments that went off and just saying, oh, it's insulin. It, it's just amazing. Then and, and oh, you know, then Mark Matson and understanding the metabolic switch mm-hmm. and how our bodies tap into our fat stores. It's like now it all makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I feel really I feel like I came into it at the perfect time where there wasn't so much information that it was like overwhelming. I I really had to search. I mean, I was I think anytime you're making a big change like that, at least for me, it's like I got really obsessive and trying to learn about it because it helps me stay with it, you know, especially during hard, I don't know, like changing your eating habits is, I mean, eating is so primal, like the reasons that we eat, what we eat, when we eat, how we eat, it's like so primal and based in memory and basic, there's like just so much there. So I feel like it's a really it's not easy to change your eating habits. And so for me to have all the research, so I started, I found 
the intermittent fasting podcast. And then I found, I joined your groups and I was just searching. I was just in there. I hardly ever asked a question, but if I had a question, I would search in like, you know, the search bubble to see if other people. Oh, you asked. get a gold, gold star. <laughs> Gold star. Thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, because I was – and then you can just see, oh, what, what what has everyone already said about this? And it also helps you yeah. see, is this something that people have <laughs> asked before and therefore, you know, it, does it have to do with fasting <laughs> or is it just like an anomaly? And the thing? answer was usually yeah. yes, wasn't it? Someone yeah. had asked it before. Yeah, always. <laughs> so. And, you know, I remember I'm, – I'm saying this with a chuckle and fondly because, you know, I'm a school teacher. I taught school for 28 years. And <laughs> I remember when I was the science lab teacher and I would teach like science lab the same lesson six mm-hmm. times in a row. <laughs> that prepared me for running Facebook groups. Totally. Because by the time the sixth class came in that I was teaching this same lesson to, I had heard all the questions from all of the students all of the times. But I had to remind myself, this student has never asked this question before. And so that is how that what that's really what kept me going in the Facebook groups when someone didn't search and they asked the same question yeah. that had been asked five times that same day. <laughs> I was like, but this person hasn't asked it before. So I would just answer it again. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. But thank you for searching. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine how much patience that takes. It's also faster to get the answer if you search just, you know, than to have to wait. Well, that's true. It's <laughs> from a practical sense. <laughs> so yeah, I was in the groups and that was great. And and the, the podcast was great. And then through your recommendation, you know, I read Jason Fung's book, The Obesity Code, and I read Appetite Correction and... I was just kind of trying to get as much information as possible. And it's funny thinking, actually thinking about that now, because just the there are so many <laughs> nutrition books that are so good. I mean, I feel lucky in a way that we're living in this time and that, that this is my time of trying to understand my health. You know, I just think back to my parents' generation and I understand them doing so many diets and trying thing to thing. And it's like the way that they were getting information was just more what they were told in the media, or it was just like all of these things that they didn't really have the same access. I mean, they have the access now, um, but they didn't have the same access in their youth to as much knowledge and as much science as we have now, which I feel really grateful for. You're exactly right. You know, I think back to when I was in college Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm I'm a good bit older than you, but maybe younger than your parents. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm 52, and so I, when I was in college, if we wanted to research something, we had to go to the library of the college, and you had to you could only search for what resources were in the particular library that you were in. So if I wanted to read, you know, a, a paper about something or a study about something or a book about something, I had to go to the card catalog that was literally on paper and like look in the drawers. You're probably like, what in the world is that? <laughs> you had to, then you had to go maybe to the microfilm and get the microfilm and put it in this machine and read it. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, when I was getting my master's degree, even it was still like that. When I got my doctorate, though, it was different. We were finally able to search for things online with online databases, and it felt like a miracle because now the information is literally at our fingertips. If I want to go to PubMed, I can read all the studies about everything just right here from my my phone yeah. in my pocket. I know. It's amazing. I mean, it really is astounding how much how much it's changed with the the access 
to information. Yeah. And I think it was so helpful. Like part of what was so helpful about Dr. Fung's book is that it changed the way that I thought about weight loss and weight gain and fat. And, and I think there's just so much in our culture that tells us that weight gain or being fat is a moral issue or it's like you're just not, you know, you're lazy or you're gluttonous or like all of these, you know, judgments that we put and people still put it. I mean, now I, when I, I hear people talking about, you know, fat either for themselves or even, you know, pointing to other people. And it's just like, it's just so clear that people don't have an understanding of how like the biology works. And they're still running on these like old ideas about calories in, calories out, and just eat less and move more and have more willpower and all of that. And Jason Fung's book just eliminated that for me and just made me have so much more compassion for my own self and and for my own, you know, appetite and my own body and like the way that my body holds on to fat and all of that and and I've, you know, since learned even more but I think understanding the hormones and understanding all of that you just it, it just kind of makes all of the rest of it go away and you can't have that same perspective anymore. You can't have those judgments anymore, which I think is really helpful. <laughs> yes. And I want to pop in there with something that you mentioned and you, you, you said it yourself. You first started talking about judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, we can tend to judge others mm-hmm. who are struggling, but the the biggest judgment we, f- we fall on ourselves. Yeah. And I can remember when I was struggling and, and blaming myself for being weak and really, you know, my body was just doing what it was programmed to do. And with the inputs that I was putting into it, I just didn't understand but, you know, you mentioned something earlier, eating is primal. We have the drive to eat. So, you know, we get all caught up in this guilt. Like we we feel like we shouldn't. Like one of the saddest um, phrases out there in the diet industry to me is, let's see if I can, if I can remember how to say it, is like we don't live to eat. We should eat to live. And, and I get the behind that, you know, we shouldn't be obsessed with eating. We shouldn't. What, but, but. People interpret that saying as it is wrong to take pleasure from mm-hmm. eating and that you should only be eating t- as fuel for your body. Eating is just for fuel. You eat, you fuel, it looks like you're putting gas in your car. I mean, my car isn't like looking forward to the stop at the t- whatever <laughs> yeah. gas station with anticipation and joyously feasting on the gas. <laughs> we, are, we are humans. We're not machines. Eating is full of joy. And we have to we we have to get that judgment of like oh my gosh I enjoyed it I should feel guilty we need to get rid of that yeah and I think there's something this is something that I learned really recently from Dr Ben Bickman who I actually he has a great yeah. um he started a coaching program or you know helped start one called Insulin IQ and they're great and I actually got certified from them and so it was awesome I had like some access to Ben for like a short period of time oh that's yeah, fantastic so okay fun. now you're gonna need to just talk about this a lot <laughs> yeah well when I first heard him on Melanie's podcast biohacking podcast I was like oh my gosh like he's I don't even really remember what exactly he said that blew my mind but you know this was 
four years after I had already been fasting and just like intensely studying nutrition, reading every book I could find. And he, listening to that interview, I just was like, oh my gosh, he's saying so much about insulin and fat cells that I did not know. So I just became like obsessed with him basically for a little while. Um, I wish I could remember like exactly what kinds of things sort of changed for me at that point. But he talks about the two types of fat cell growth, which are hypertrophy and hyperplasia. And so hyperplasia, hyperplastic fat growth is when cells multiply. So the fat cells, you'll get more fat cells, but they'll remain small, which means that they're remaining healthy. Whereas hyperphasia or um, hypertrophy is when the cells grow in size. And that's when they start to become insulin resistant and metabolically unhealthy. Uh And something that he says is that most people have a set number of fat cells by the time we exit puberty. So we're getting more and more fat cells during adolescence and all of that. But then once we, you know, get out of puberty, we pretty much have a set, a set number. That's not the case for everyone. So someone who can get up to 500, 600 pounds, for example, likely has more hyperplastic fat growth than the average person. So that means that they're just content. So they have the ability to make more. Yes. They can make more fat cells. So, so not everyone has Mm-mm. that ability to continue making a lot no. of fat cells. See, this is another such an important mm-hmm. thing to understand is that we're all different. Yeah. yeah. And and so that also means that however many fat cells you have by the time you exit puberty. So for someone who's been thin their whole life and then they gain weight, first of all, the fat that they're gaining is is going to more likely be something that's going to cause them metabolic you know, issues. Um, but they're also going to be able to lose that fat and they're also, and they're going to be able to probably become thin again. Whereas someone who had gained more weight in childhood and in adolescence, they're just going to have more fat cells. It's going to be harder for them to lose weight in adulthood. They're not going to be able to probably, well, I won't say that they're not going to be able, but it's probably going to be harder for them to get down to a smaller size, especially smaller than they were sort of at the end of puberty. So, you know, it's in some ways good news and bad news. That's fascinating. Yeah. And and it kind of goes along with the, I mean, I've just had this like pop into my head as a theory. And so it's not, it just from observation, you may have heard me say it on the show that a lot of people with intermittent fasting naturally gravitate to their high school weight. And so now I just had like an aha moment. I didn't know any biology of why, or like, it's not a rule, but that what you're saying right now kind of helps to explain why this observation may be likely to happen because I am pretty much probably not that far away from how I easily maintained in high school. But for someone who was already struggling and had a lot of fat cells by the time that they went through puberty and were in high school, it makes sense as to why they they may struggle to get lower than that. Yes. And I think it's important to recognize that they can have that extra, you know, fat and be metabolically healthy. So I think there's also this assumption of, oh, the thinner you are, the healthier you are, the fatter you are, the more unhealthy you are. But it's just like absolutely not true. It could be true maybe individually, like one, you know, for one person, maybe gaining more fat could mean that they're getting more 
metabolically unwell. But to compare between people just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, that's really a message for (laughs) anyone who's thinner, who's looking at fatter people going, oh, well, they should do that. You know, they should just, you know, implement this health regimen or they should eat less or they should exercise more or they should fast or they should do low carb or whatever. Like anytime we're looking at someone else applying judgment, you know, we just can't do that. And it's not fair to that person because you don't know their history. You don't know, like maybe that person gained a lot of weight as, you know, an adolescent and they're going to be perfectly metabolically healthy at a bigger a bigger size. So, and I think that this can also help someone who's listening with themselves because this is where I hear a lot of people putting the pressure on themselves. Like for one thing, sometimes people will say to me, well, Jen, you are wearing a size zero jeans and you do intermittent fasting. And why can't I do that too? And I, I really need to emphasize that once I got down to my goal range, it has not been hard. I have not had to white knuckle maintain. Uh, this is where my body settled without me having to to stress about it or diet hard or do anything hard. And so, you know, I am not like this shining virtuous example of what you can do if you just work harder. No, I didn't work hard. I just fast, feast, repeat, and my body settled here. That doesn't mean that everyone's body is going to settle here where my body settled. And you have to really take that look and, and and look at yourself and think, where is my body going to settle? Yeah. And I know we, we can hope it'll be, you know, whatever size, your size of your dreams. I actually never dreamed I'd be <laughs> settling at this size. I wanted to be a size six. My body had other plans. But listen to that. My body had other plans. I didn't have to force it. And so really looking at your body and the history of your body and your, your fat gain or fat loss, and and you can take the pressure off yourself and say, you know what? My body is going to be a size 12. And I can stay at a size 12 easily, and I can be metabolically healthy, and I can just relax and let my body do what it does. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, and I always kind of now as I've, I've been sort of doing some nutrition coaching and I'm realizing, you know, I know weight loss is a huge reason why people would become interested in nutrition. And, but I think it's so important if you're going to have a goal that is weight loss to also be like monitoring your biomarkers because you can also lose weight and that cannot be the healthiest way to lose weight. You can, you can lose, you can get thinner, but you can be losing muscle. You can be losing lean body mass. You can be not really lowering your insulin. So I think it's always important to have some other markers of health as well as, um, a hundred percent. Yeah. When I was my thinnest in my adult life, uh, it was in the early 90s, and I was doing low fat. And I've talked about this before, but I wasn't eating nutrients. I was just eating (laughs) low fat junk. But I was so, so thin. I was like 118, but I didn't look good. Like when I look back at those pictures, I didn't look good. I didn't look healthy. And so what, what biomarkers do you recommend that people monitor? I love getting an insulin test. That's not something that um, your doctor is probably going to automatically put into your tests, but you can ask for it. And you can also do walk-in labs, which I have been uh, become obsessed with walk-in labs. So it's just walkinlabs.com and you can buy, you know, whatever tests you want to buy. Um, and it'll take you to either a Quest or a lab 
hardcore. And they're not expensive. No. Like the insulin test is like, what, like 25 yeah. bucks? Mm-hmm. I've got to remember that because Sherry told me about them. Sherry Bullock told me about Walk-In Labs, but I always forget the name of yes. it. So I'm going to like make a mental picture walking into the lab, yes. Walk-In Lab. <laughs> I could try to remember yeah. it. But yeah, because a lot of doctors just won't won't do it or like insurance might not pay yeah. for it, but you don't have to have your doctor or insurance. So what do you have people look for? I know that you've been through this this training with, with Dr. Bickman, which is exciting. What are yeah. you looking for? People are all the time asking. Yeah. So I like insulin. I like, if you're going to do an insulin test, don't just do fasting insulin, do fasting insulin and blood glucose at the same time. And with those two numbers, you can get uh-huh. a score called the HOMA IR score, which you can just Google. And then there's a little thing you can put in. So it's H-O-M-A dash I-R. And that's just a measure of insulin resistance. You know, there are so many measures of insulin resistance. Um, none of them are perfect. Even a fasting insulin isn't perfect. But it's just kind of... Because t- it's a snapshot. Yeah. So fasting insulin, that HOMA IR score, the triglyceride to HDL ratio is also great. So if you're... And that you will get. I mean, you'll get triglycerides and you'll get HDL most likely on your any type of blood test. So that tells you like the particle size and you want like a bigger particle size than a smaller one. So that ratio tells you, um, I would say get Ben's book, Why We Get Sick. He has all of the info in there. I'm not like fully remembering like every (laughs) number and everything right now, but you can find that stuff online as well. Perfect. Yeah. And just kind of monitoring, yeah, like blood glucose and insulin. I mean, I think those are for just like the basics those are great. You don't need to go crazy. I mean, I know some people love to have all the data. I feel like for me, it's a little bit overwhelming. So I just like to have a few things um, that I'm paying attention to. And also just paying attention to your own strength <laughs> like and your own... like I think that's something... So when I was losing weight originally. So I was doing the fasting and I was vegetarian. And so I started in 2017 and I I lost like 30 pounds in like one year. And then I kind of leveled out and sort of just started slowly, very, very slowly kind of losing a little bit more weight, getting a little smaller. I was like fluctuating in, you know, approximately the same size. And I got down to my lowest weight during quarantine, like at the beginning of quarantine, I was eating, like all I was eating was like rice, steamed veggies, and like a couple of eggs. And then I would maybe have like some chia seeds with yogurt and fruit. Like that's like what I was eating every day. And I was just very, like I wasn't going to the grocery, I would go to the grocery store like every three weeks. I was like trying not to go anywhere. And so it was just this, I was like rationing food (laughs) and everything, but I felt okay. And I was probably fasting 20 hours and I got down to like 139. I, I was like so excited to see those 130s. And how how tall are I'm you? I'm 5'2". So probably like a quote okay. unquote normal weight <laughs> for me would be around, you know, between like 125, 135. And at the end of high school, I had gotten to 150. So, you know, I'm saying these numbers and they they mean something to me. I don't know that they would like necessarily mean something to someone else. But, you know, the size I was when I was like 150 was sort of that's the size that I sort of settled at as, you know, an adult. And then I had gone up to about almost 180. Um, and that's when I had started fasting and kind of got back down to around 145 is where I settled. And then I had finally gotten down to that 139 number. And then things started opening up again. And I started going out to eat again. And I also started 
buying snack foods from Trader Joe's, which now I just like have to avoid Trader Joe's because I'm so tempted by all of their snack foods. <laughs> they do have a lot of snacks. So I, I guess do. I'm going to say that it's a blessing that we don't have a Trader yeah. Joe's and I'm not exposed <laughs> to their their devious snacks. They're so good. And they're always like snacks you can't find somewhere else. They're like weird stuff. And you're right. just like, well, I really want to try this. So in like five months, I gained 20 pounds. So from that 139, I went back up to 159. And that was crazy for me. I had not been a, really above 150 for like two years. And I was kind of settled at 145 normally. So to be back up at 159, I was like, what is happening? Like I was, I just was so confused. And so I, you know, took another look at my diet and what I was eating. And I was thinking, well, during that time, you know, during that quarantine time when I was eating so little, did I mess up my metabolism? Or I just didn't know sort of what what was going on, but it kind of took me back to the drawing board, which was crazy. So that was like 2020 and I had been fasting since 2017. So I felt like I really had, you know, a good hold on, you know, my diet and what foods made me feel a certain way. And what foods made me gain weight or lose weight. And, you know, my size compared to my weight always kind of matched. Um, And this just, I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? So I actually took a look at can I yeah. ask you something real quick? Did you write in? I the did, yes. Podcast? And you guys did answer. <laughs> For some reason, I all of a sudden was like, I think we answered yes. her question on the podcast. Isn't that so funny that like it just popped into my yes, head? Yes, you did. Familiar story. <laughs> well, now you get the conclusion. <laughs> I love it. So what, what was your question? Yes. What did you ask? I, I think I was just like, I, you know, had like lost all this weight. And now after two years, I've like gained 20 pounds in five months. Like what's, what do you think has happened? And you guys kind of both said, you know, well, it seems like now you're eating out and you're eating junk food. So it's probably that. And I was like, kind of, yeah, I am eating more junk food than usual, but I've been eating, you know, out pretty much the whole time. I've never really been someone to like cook every meal at home. And most of the time I had lost weight, I was eating out. So it felt, yes, like that probably instigated it, but it there I felt like there was something else underneath. So I actually took a look at the amount of protein I was eating and realized I was eating like probably 30 grams of protein a day, like maybe 50. Uh, You were not getting enough protein. Probably the whole time that I had been fasting, I wasn't getting enough protein because it's hard. I mean, as a vegetarian, I think it's really hard to get enough protein if you're intermittent fasting because, I mean, you basically have to only be eating <laughs> protein. I mean, like to eat just like beans. Like I was eating two eggs thinking, oh, well, I'm getting my protein for the day. And it's like, that's 12 grams of protein. Like that's not enough. So I started eating, you know, more at home again and eating whole foods. And I just like did not lose weight. And so I introduced meat into my diet again because I just figured I don't know how else to do this. And it was very interesting introducing meat. I mean, that changed everything. I almost feel like I have like my vegetarian, (laughs) like pre-meat intermittent fasting and then post-meat intermittent fasting. And um, it was interesting because I just became sort of like ravenous for the meat, like which is crazy I love, see, yeah. that's your body. Your body was telling you. Now, I never talked about this on the podcast. I had COVID in the fall and um, lost my sense of taste and smell very, very briefly. Like I had a high fever, lost my sense of taste and smell a few days in, 
fever, fever, fever. Then my taste and smell came back. But in that middle part, when I was sick and had the yeah. fever, I could not stand meat. Like oh, I didn't wow. want it. My body was like, do not eat meat for whatever yeah. reason. I didn't want it. And I just couldn't even put it in my <laughs> mouth. But as soon as I was completely recovered, my body started craving meat like nobody's business. Like I could not get enough meat. I only wanted to eat meat. And I, I feel like, you know, for whatever reason, my body was like healing, needed less protein, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but once I was better, it craved it. So you felt like that, like your body, what you were ravenous for yeah. meat, like that just clicked with me and resonated. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it was so strange because during the time that I was vegetarian, I ate some fish, but I never cooked fish at home. So I would only eat, if it, eat it if I was having like sushi or fish tacos or something. And I would eat every once in a while, every six months or something, I would crave a burger and I would just have it. And from that, it never, I always was satisfied from that. So I was really surprised I don't know if it was psychological. Like now I was saying, okay, I'm allowed to eat meat again. And so I just was like, okay, as much meat as I could get. And it was interesting because I knew I could tell my body really wanted it, but I also think my gut was not really used to it. So I felt very, very weird in my body for like six months. Yeah. But I just kept going. I bet it. it wasn't psychological. I bet it was physical because, you know, you've heard us talk about it on the intermittent fasting podcast, you know, the whole protein leverage hypothesis mm -hmm. that we crave it. I think your body needed that meat. Yeah. Yeah. And it took me a while to get used to it. Like I felt super weird. I, I wasn't losing anyway at all. I was not getting any smaller. So it was a strange thing because I was like back to fasting. I was eating whole foods, including this meat. Part of me was like, maybe I'll introduce meat and I'll just like lose so much weight. Like <laughs> I had that thought that did not right. happen. And over time, I did finally start to get smaller. I don't think I've lost, I've maybe lost like two pounds. Like I'm still up at that maybe like 155 to 160 range, but it's interesting. Well, I don't weigh myself. I don't have, I didn't bring a scale to North Carolina. <laughs> I was like, I'm leaving this in California. But I, have weighed myself like at a chiropractor's office or whatever. And it was like 159. And I was like, okay, so I'm not losing any weight, but I also started weight training. So I think what was probably happening when I was down at that, like more one thirties range was that I actually had been losing lean body mass. I'm guessing from maybe from so. Yeah. Not, it's possible. So yeah. if you were not getting sufficient protein. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then because now it's like, I, I feel like I'm wearing similar clothes to what I was wearing when I was about 145, but I'm, you know, 10, at least 10 pounds heavier. But I think just having all of that protein, because now I do eat a lot of meat and I really aim to get like a hundred grams of protein a day, which even isn't even, you know, my trainer wants me to have like a hundred and probably 25 grams of protein. <laughs> it's just so hard to get it. Um, and so, yeah, I really try to get that protein and then I'm also weight training. So I know that I have more lean body mass now than I did before. So I'm just guessing that that's part of why my weight is so different than it was, but my body size is probably about comparable judging from the clothes that I wear. That's body recomposition in action right there. Have you taken any photos? Yeah. I Do you have any photos? I used to. I haven't really done it. Like now it's like it's been so long that it feels so much more part of my everyday lifestyle. So I feel like I just can't 
put so much energy <laughs> into into focusing on even though like I do have a goal of weight loss or at least like sat you know I want to get a little bit smaller um, and lose some some more fat but it's just kind of like a goal that's sort of in the back of my mind because right it's been like five years I'm just like I'm tired <laughs> like I can't be focusing right, I on get that it. all the time yeah because you don't want to just be constantly living your life of I got to lose five more pounds. Yeah. I got to lose five more pounds, yeah. and instead of like you know what, I'm eating high quality foods. I'm nourishing my body well. I'm building muscle. You just relax into yeah. it instead of the stress. Yeah, for sure. And it's just it's always such a balance for me. The hardest thing I think is the social element. I tend to fall into like a midday window. I like to eat between the hours of like maybe 10 and five, not necessarily all through those hours, but some period of time within that range. I don't really like to eat after dark. So I tend to do like an, you know, a late morning, early afternoon window, which just is not great for socializing. So anytime that I am socializing, going out to dinner or going out for drinks or anything, you know, that's going to kind of mess up my fast. And it just always has to be a balance for me of like, okay, let me take periods of time where I'm maybe less social or, you know, by myself and, and use that time to kind of make headway with eating healthy and eating, you know, and fasting more and then relax when I do get the opportunity to have more social time and just kind of let that be what it is and try to have try to have a, a health, a physically healthy life and also a socially and like emotionally healthy life. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. We find in the balance. Yeah. There's the balance of of making it work and because we don't want to live a life where we feel like we can never be social again mm -hmm. or like I can never have brunch because, yeah. you know, I don't prefer to have an earlier yeah. window. But, you know, Easter, we were recording this in April. We just had Easter. My family had lunch at noon and I no longer even think about it. You know, like I acknowledged I usually don't eat this early, mm -hmm. but I'm going to. But I didn't feel any kind of feelings about it. Yeah. It just it, it just happens. And, you know, that's that's the flexibility of living the lifestyle. And I knew I'd be too full by the time I went to bed. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I've, you've heard me say before, I can't eat early and only early. I need to eat something else mm -hmm. or I don't sleep well. Yeah. But it is what it is. And and we, we make space for these moments in our lives. Yeah, totally. And there's so many other things also, like you mentioned sleep. Like 
there's so many other aspects of health too and like diet. And, and I feel like whenever I'm trying to manage my diet, it's like, yeah, weight loss is part of that. And, you know, depending on how I'm feeling in my clothes, it's really for me just like all about how I feel in, in my clothes. But like things like sleep or things like digestion, like there are all, all these other elements that I'm also sort of always trying to manage and trying to optimize and to do it in a way that, yeah, makes me feel physically well, because it just doesn't feel good to, to not feel well. <laughs> I guess that's pretty uh, redundant, but yeah. I know what you mean. No, I, no, but it's just not how we want to go through yeah. life. So how would you describe your eating style now? I know you said you added back meat. Would you say that yeah. you're more paleo or? It's so interesting. So I think one of the things that was making me not feel good when I first added back meat is that I was eating sort of like my vegetarian diet plus meat. And I've realized that I feel a lot, which was heavy carb. And I feel a lot better when I'm eating more meat and less carbs. So I do do a more, I I do sort of like a Paul Saladino style carnivore diet most of the time where I'm eating meat and fruit. And then every once in a while I'll do like potatoes or not potatoes, sweet potatoes, or I'll do some veggies sometimes. But I really, I mean, before it was like my diet was like heavy on the veggies. <laughs> and now I like hardly ever eat veggies. I started recently introducing fermented vegetables. So like sauerkraut and kimchi and stuff. And I, I really like that. I feel like probiotic foods plus meat is like such a good combination. There's something about that that just feels like it all works in balance. And then the fruit for the carbs feels really good. Because when I go too low carb, like that's the thing, like ever since introducing me, I feel like it's been a challenge to kind of find what is the combination that makes me feel really good. Cause I tend now I tend to either I'll, I just won't be satisfied or I'll be too hungry or I'll be too full. Like I, it's hard, been hard for me to find that, that perfect um, balance. So I think having the fruit is really good for me for carbs and the meat and the, and then I like the fermented foods as well. And then I'm not strict, like I'll eat a pastry here and there or something like that. I'm not like, you know, no bread or no, no rice or something like that. But I typically, if I'm cooking at home, that's what I make partly because it's so easy too. It's like the easiest thing in the world (laughs) to make, just like put a steak (laughs) on the stove. That's fascinating. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, it's so interesting. You're just, you're listening to your body. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Sometimes I think, I wonder, oh, should I go back to that high carb, like lower meat? Like I was able to lose so much weight with that. But I'm like, I don't know. I think I just, I think I, it's important to me to have the protein and I just don't know how to get it if I'm not eating meat. Well, and I also think a big a big key is that you mentioned that you're wearing the clothes you were wearing at 145. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So that that you know that's important. You know, your body. You know, if you could just forget about that number, yeah, totally, and think that 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 gold body. You know, that's why I threw my scale away. You know, and you you don't you don't weigh, but you did see that number at the chiropractor. <laughs> so maybe maybe don't don't do that. Like yeah. if I go to the doctor's office and they like. Like they want to weigh me. I'm like, yeah. I'm not, first of all, I'm like, you don't need my weight. I told them that one day and they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, you do not need the weight for what I'm here for today. Yeah. That is not important. Sure. They tried to get me to weigh and I wasn't going to do it because I didn't need that noise in my head. Yeah. And, you know, because I knew what size pants I was wearing. That's all I cared about. And, or you could, if they absolutely have to weigh you because they're going to give you medication based on your weight, whatever, then you don't have to look. 
say, all right, weigh me. I'm not looking. I don't know. That's just what I have to I do. I do have some like pants that I would like to fit into better. So that's really when I say like lose weight, it's more about those. But I'm actually not even sure because my body definitely is probably different now that I'm weightlifting too. I'm sure like I think my legs are like a different shape. So it's kind of, it's also just kind of hard to tell. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, everything is just hard. Everything's just different now that I eat meat again. It's so, it's just, it's so strange, <laughs> but it's okay. Well, I would imagine you're right because if you've, if you before were, I don't know, what's, what's the phrase? Skinny fat? Is that what they say? Yeah, could have been. Skinny fat when sure. you're like not that muscular, but you're a, you're smaller, but you're not muscular. Yeah. But then you start building that muscle. It does change the shape of your yeah. body and, you know, more muscular legs, more muscular arms. And then the clothes that fit you when you were that other shape are not going to fit you just because they're like, you might have a smaller waist right. than you did before. Like that, I would really maybe focus on your waist size. Yeah. Have you, have you done any, any measuring? Again, I used to, I just haven't in a while. I also, I wish I had like biomarkers from when I was vegetarian and doing oh, all yeah, of me this. Too. I didn't do any, I didn't go to the doctor. Like for years, I didn't go to the doctor. So I don't have any of that, but that's why I love those biomarkers. Yeah. I wish I had the data from before because yeah. I was always going to the doctor, but it was always for like an antibiotic. Right. I wasn't going for like a checkup. Yeah. It was always because I was sick. That's <laughs> actually something else I really wanted to mention is that since I started fasting, I like rarely get sick. And when I do, it's for a few days. It's hardly lasts. Every time I get sick also, it's usually during a period of time where I'm eating like a crazy person, like things that I don't normally eat, just like tons of cheese or like tons of just and like not anything nutritious like it's almost always around a time where I'm eating like I don't normally eat and that's just amazing because I really I was going to the doctor like you said like I'm going was going to the doctor so often and taking so many antibiotics I was getting sick all the time it would last two weeks and like that's probably the biggest benefit actually is just like I hardly get sick. And when I do, it's just, it's not yeah. a big deal. Yeah. I just had a cold. I, I rarely, rarely get sick, but I just had a cold a couple weeks ago. But it, it was like one day I noticed I had the cold and I actually was like, could this be allergies? Am I having allergies? Yeah. What's going on? Because it was pollen season, but it wasn't because it had, you know, <laughs> then like the next day I like had the cold and a little tiny, like 99, whatever. Then the next day it was tight and then it was gone. Yeah, exactly. Whereas before I could feel it in my ears. I could feel it kind of settling. Yeah. And in my sinuses, I had like a good deal of sinus mm -hmm. pain, which is how I knew it wasn't just mm -hmm. allergies. But I was like, this is – like, I actually noticed this is what would have turned into a sinus infection and an ear infection in my past. But my body just handled it, and then I was perfect. I woke up the next day. I was perfectly fine. And that was the contrast between old gin and new gin, that my body just does it. Thank you. Thank you, fasting. I know. And thank you, lowered inflammation. <laughs> yeah. Such a blessing. It really is. Well, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? Starting out, I would say start slow. I think a lot of people, especially now that intermittent fasting is so popular, <laughs> I think this wasn't necessarily a problem for me when I started, but I now hear a lot of people just trying to go straight into like a 24-hour fast or something like that or even right. 20 hours. And I would say start slow, like your body 
works up to it. Like I just think about when I started at 16, eight and my eating window just naturally shortened to what felt right for my appetite and what my body needed at that time. And that will happen. So I think trust, (laughs) like trust your body. That's sort of the whole point of this. Trust your body, trust, you know, your appetite, let yourself slowly work up to the the fast that feels good for you. And and I think there's not, you know, I it's interesting. There is a bit of willpower that could go into it. There's a bit of aiming. You know, you could aim for 18 hours, for example, but let your body get there as slowly sort of as it needs. Maybe push a little, but then like let it go. And, and don't worry. You know, I think also the other thing that people worry about a lot is, oh, but I'm going to binge during my eating window. And it's fine. Like, let yourself eat what you want to eat during your eating window. I don't think that a lot of people have a good idea of like what inging actually is. Like, I think people f- always feel like they're eating more food than they are just because diet culture. I think you're right with yeah. that too. I, th- I think you're right. And and it's probably not as much as you think you mm-hmm. ate. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find that to be true. Like, I'll be really full and I'm like, man, I just ate a lot of food. Then I'll think about it. And I'm like, it really it was not as much as I used to eat in a day. Yeah. for your- It was way less than I used to eat in a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For your one meal, it's like your appetite will change. Like, it will balance out. And I think part of that is understanding that this is a lifestyle. It lasts over time. It You know, you have to be flexible with it. I think also a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to start fasting and I'm going to get up to 24 hours and I'm going to do this regimen and I'm going to have 20 hours every day. And and I know some people, you know, on your podcast, I've heard some people do do well with that. But I think for a lot of people to just remember, like, you can be flexible, like it's a daily thing, like be easy about it. It doesn't have to be so hard and so regimented. Like, you'll get the benefits regardless. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, I have really enjoyed talking to you today and I love having the follow-up since we talked about your... (laughs) How long did it take for for when you sent it in until when we answered it? Was it pretty soon? I think you guys did it pretty soon. Yeah. I was definitely still in the... It was definitely still relevant when you guys answered. So I will say that. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you today and thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? 
Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.